I was having a, a chat with a few people the other day about how people pray. Not sort of how they pray so much as the location as to where they pray. And pe- people pray in all kinds of different places. I guess if I asked around the room today, where do you like praying, we'd get all sorts of things. So the, the kind of things I was hearing were that some people prayed while they were commuting to work. Prayed in the car. You know, it was space, it was time alone and time to pray with God. Some people said they pray in the bath. Lie in the bath, relaxing and praying. Other people pray when they go running. Some people like to go into a quiet room. My favourite, I think I mentioned this a number of times before, is to go walking, to walk and to pray, to be outside in the fresh air. I find I'm less distracted when there's stuff around me than when I'm sat just in the quiet space. One of the things I want to do over the next few weeks and months while I do have this sabbatical period is to actually put some time for walking into my diary. And one of the walks I want to do, and this is not very glamorous, so it doesn't sound it, is a walk that starts in the middle of Stockport. Anyone like walking in the middle of Stockport? (laughs) It's not really the kind of place you tend to go. But this is a walk that goes from the start of the River Mersey, which is in Stockport, up the River Goit to Buxton. Just have a look at the two different places. You see, I told you it wasn't very glamorous. That's on the right-hand side. That's where you start there. So that's the head of the River Mersey. See that rather tatty-looking thing there? It says here, the rivers Goit and Tame join and become the River Mersey. But if you look at the river there, it's murky. It's full of shopping trolleys. It's full of all kinds of rubbish that people have chucked into it. But as you walk up the river, as you get further and further up, this is the same river about 15 miles away. It's crystal clear. There's fish in it. It's pure. Nobody lives nearby it. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful location. But as you walk upstream you start to see what has happened. This is an outfall from a sewage works. I don't think I'd fancy drinking that water. It's supposedly clean, but it doesn't look it very much to me. There's the shopping trolley. Why do people think that trolleys go in rivers? I'm not quite sure, but you always seem to find shopping trolleys in rivers. But the further up you go, the cleaner it gets. The closer to the source you go, the more the water becomes clear. The closer you get to the source, the purer it becomes. See, love is a word that we use a lot in our culture, isn't it? It's a word that we hear sung about. If you're into pop songs, over the last 40 years, about two-thirds of pop songs have been written, have been about love. don't know what the other third are about. I was trying to work that out. But two-thirds are about love. Coming to church, and you don't have to be here very long before you heard the word love mentioned. We've already sung about God's love for us this morning. Anyone like to have a guess how many times it appears in the NIV Bible, the word love? A little bit. Yeah, you're in the right sort of area, but more. Go on, keep going up. Keep going. It's like bingo, this. A bit lower. 551 times it is mentioned in the Bible. That's the word love. Now, we make it complicated because Greek, the Greek has four words for love. We only have one, so we get all these kind of different words that are talked about as love. But what are we to make of God's love? What does it mean to be close to the source of God's love? What does it then mean to put this into action? So the first thing I want to look at is that love is the very nature of God. Love is the very nature of God himself. It's getting to that time of year when eventually it's starting to warm up a bit. And that means for us that when we do go out for a walk, our dog likes to go for a swim. And she often goes for a swim in the dam. 
Not something I would probably recommend. Although uh, there is somebody sat on the back row to the left who I think has tipped into the dam, isn't there, Peter? Yeah, I'm going to speak to Peter Brandon for a very interesting story about what it's like falling into the dam. Fascinating. But actually, if you go into the dam as a dog and you come out again, what happens at the end of it is you smell of wet dog. Anyone like the smell of wet dog? Angela, goodness me. <laughs> the smell of wet dog to me is not an enticing smell. It's a pretty horrid, nasty smell. But it's the smell of dogginess. It's what dogs smell like. Coming into church this morning, I was met by the most delicious smell. The smell of coffee brewing. Oh, what a wonderful smell. That sort of coffiness. You know that the prayer breakfast is going on when there's that amazing smell on a Sunday morning. Walk by the sea. Many of us, I would imagine, over the next few weeks and months, will be going to the seaside for something holiday-wise. If you walk by the sea, what do you get? You get that smell of the brine, don't you? That smell of the seaside. You recognize it as the nature of being near the sea. 1 John 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. For want of a better analogy, love is, if you like, the aroma of God. It is what God is like. It is like the character of God himself. And the word that is used to describe love is this agape word, this Greek word for love. And it means unconditional, parental, unmerited love. If you've got a King James version of the Bible, sometimes it's translated as charity. The love that gives, the love that is not self-seeking, the love that just pours out to other people. And this is what John is telling us that God is like. It is his very character, his very essence, his very being is love. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes read a verse like that, and I start to find myself questioning John. It's not really a good idea to question Scripture in that way. Scripture is God's word to us. But I don't know if you ever find yourself doing that, saying, I want to add to that. I want to say, God is love, he's also peace and justice, he's also our redeemer, and put all the other titles of God around that. Now, all those titles are absolutely true. All those titles are absolutely right. But here's the thing. The only reason I feel I need to do that is because my version of love is incorrect. My view of love is tarnished. It's murky. It's like the river in Stockport, not the river in Buxton. It's not the right view of love. I've allowed my view of love to be tainted by sin, by wrong attitudes. God's love is pristine. He is the source of love. His love is justice. His love is mercy. His love is kindness. It is all of those things. Another major theme that John picks up on is the theme of light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. We know our experience of light is also not pure. I'm not a scientist, but I don't know whether... Can can a human being stand pure light? John? I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) I can't imagine we would be able to sort of withstand the brightness of pure light. Well, as I was prepping this um, this week, I was sat in my office, and sort of late in the afternoon, the sun comes round and shines through the window. All that happens when we get into the light, when you put things in the light, is you see the murkiness that's around. You realize that actually the places the light shines are still full of murkiness. Just like the water was full of murkiness, so the light can be. Nigel Wright led a um, a leader's breakfast for us a few weeks back. And he says whenever he comes to worship God, he always finds it um, sort of helpful 
to have John's language in his mind. To imagine coming into the presence of the brilliantness, of the purity, and the love and the light of God himself. Love is God's very essence. Love is also loved, lived through obedience. You know, human love isn't pure. We can say we love, but we twist it from being pristine to being murky. You know, we may say we love all kinds of things. People say they love one another. You, you love a person. But you can also say, oh, I really love my work. I really love objects. You know, I love my car. I love an idea. I love a nation. I love a political party. Perhaps not at the moment, but you, some people do say that. I love food. I love being in the outdoors. And it's a word that we often use, but seldom understand. A word that we often apply to things that actually are so far removed from God that it can be quite dangerous. And it's a word that we can trip off the tongue very easily, but then totally deny with our actions. We can say, I love, and then do a selfish response to that thing that we're saying we love. Easily spoken, but it can fall victim to our self-centeredness. You see, as a human being, we are capable, made in the image of God, as loving. We're capable of loving things. But without the work of the Holy Spirit, without being born again of the Spirit, without the regenerating work that God does in us, we're not going to be capable of loving God or modeling his love to other people. We need to be close to the source, close to Jesus, close to the Lord who is love himself. Because there's that danger, isn't there? That what happens is that we start to love murky things. We start to get that wrong view of love and then wonder why it doesn't work out. Think about things that have been spoken about, about love. You know, 1960s, free love was the thing, wasn't it? It was actually free sex. Love really didn't come into it a great deal. I've heard people say, you know, I love McDonald's. Probably need ministry, but that's a different point. But I love McDonald's. That's nothing to do with agape love. It's nothing to do with the kind of love that we find in Scripture. It's to do with physical desires, convenience, all kinds of other things. Even if we say, I love you to another human being, it can still be tainted with our self-centeredness. What Jesus actually does in this passage, it gives us no wriggle room to make our own definition up of what love is. We have no wriggle room. Love is obedience to God. Love is living life with God's ways, with his commands. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. To love as God calls us to love is not to think of some idea of love and then pass it off as if this is God's ideas. We only know God as we are transformed by him. I really love this quote. Theology is just about how we think about God. If your theology doesn't lead you to love more people or love people more, you should question your theology. If you think you're close to God and yet you start to become full of hate, there is something going on that's not right. The source of love has not been encountered in the right kind of way. So we move on to loving one another. Verse 12, my command is this, love one another. God is love. That is his nature. That is who he is. That is what he has demonstrated to us. And we are called to be like this to one another. We're not just called to be pleasant and nice to one another. That is not the same thing. We're not just called to be, you know, decent people. 
That is not the same thing. But we're called to be passionately concerned about people's well-being now and into eternity. It's a really deep call. It's a call that resonates in the very heart of God himself. And it's a call without exceptions. You know, as a Christian, we can never say, oh, I don't have to love that person. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. There are no exceptions. The call to want the best for other human beings. You know, in a few moments, we will gather around the communion table. We will remember again the love that Christ has shown for us. The self-sacrificing, self-giving love that brings our forgiveness and the chance for a new start. The call to love one another is no less than the call to be Christ to each other. The call to live to another person as if it was Jesus living in that kind of relationship. You know, we can't do that if our view of love is murky. If our view of love is not close to the source, is not close to God himself, we simply cannot do it. If we have allowed ourselves a lesser view of love. Perhaps the best known passage about love in the whole of scripture. Sorry, that's a bit small print, but I will read it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Will we live like that with one another? Will we draw close to the source, who is God himself, and enact this to each other? We mentioned last week, you know, we are about to start on a building project. We are going into the wilderness of the decluttering this week. Will we love one another as we declutter? Will we love one another as we have to make way for one another with the building project? Will we love one another in those weeks over the summer when we have to move out of these premises? Will we love one another? Will we be as Christ to one another? See, I think there are mistakes that we can make quite easily, things that we can fall into. I think one mistake we can make is that we think loving one another is something that just happens to me. You know, I come to church and everybody else's expectation that they will all love me. Now, that is true, but loving one another is something that happens in the round. It's something that we opt into when we follow Jesus, something that we're commanded to do when we follow him. So as I love, I receive love. Sometimes I can only receive love because I've got nothing left to give. I just need to be on the receiving end. But at other times, I will just be giving love to other people. I think a second mistake we can make, and I've fallen into this a number of times when I've been praying with people, And it's like, I'll find myself praying a prayer like this. I just want to pray that you will know God's love. And then I go away. Now that prayer is okay. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. God can and does tangibly give us a sense of his presence and his love. But you know, we have been commanded and commissioned to get on with this. We've been commanded to love one another. It's the church's instruction to be like this. 
praying that the love of God will be tangible is not the same as making a meal for somebody. Praying that the love of God is tangible is not the same as being prepared to do something that puts yourself out and is self-sacrificing to another person. And sometimes I feel that I'm in risk, at the risk, you might not be, but I'm at the risk, of saying to God, well, okay, I know this has been um, commissioned to us, but I want to pass the book back up to you, Lord. I don't want to love one another. I want you to do it. And God says, well, I've told you. I have commanded you. Love one another. This is your role. This is the role of the church. This is the role of Christians to continue the ministry of Jesus until he returns again in glory. Third mistake I think we can make is this isn't just about nice platitudes to each other. This is not about the love of a child to a teddy bear. It's also not the kind of love of a you know, couple who've just fallen in love and are sort of staring at one another. Christ's love led him to Calvary. Christ's love, wanting the absolute best for us, which is forgiveness and a fresh start and an eternity with him, sent him to the cross. Christ's love was the ultimate self-giving love. As we love, are we prepared to sacrifice? Laying down our life for a friend, Jesus says. Are we prepared to do that, to demonstrate him to the world? This is an incredibly radical call. But it's also a very over-familiar call, because we hear a lot about God's love. Are we prepared again to get close to the source, to get close to God, to pray that we become more and more like him, so that we can then live this out? Because this is also a demonstration of the gospel. There's a bloke called Rodney Stark who has written a book, and it's all about, he's an anthropologist, which I think means he studies human behavior and human beings, and he's written a book about why did the church grow in the first few centuries? What, what was going on from a sort of human level? And he says this. Christianity did not grow primarily because of miracle working in the marketplace, although that was very much going on. That did happen. Or because Constantine, Constantine was the, the Roman emperor who made Christianity the religion of the empire, said it should. Or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility. It grew because Christians constituted an intense community grounded in love. It grew because Christians loved one another and people couldn't argue against it. So you can argue against an idea. You can even argue against miracles if you try hard enough. You cannot argue against a loving community. You can't argue against people who will live lives, not selfishly, but for one another. Now, I would probably argue that it's a mixture of all that stuff by the church group and that people were praying, they were sharing Jesus with their friends. But we look at our world today. We look at the society we live in. Our society is broken, isn't it? Our world is increasingly fractious. You know, we have European elections coming up this week. And we have seen just the political upheaval of the last three years to show that the deep, deep divisions just on that one issue in our, in our society. But actually, if we scratch under the surface of the other things that are going on that don't often make it to the headlines, we're seeing this upsurge in knife crime in hate speech, in just people being against one another, not loving one another. You know, the world has no answer to these problems. There is no answer that the humanist can give, that the atheist can give. There is nothing that remotely comes close to being a satisfactory solution. Only we have the answer. Jesus has given us the answer. 
to serve him, to give our lives to him, and then to put into practice what he says. To love one another. You know, through Christ we are made vertically right with God through what through the cross. We have that relationship restored. And through Christ there is also that horizontal restoration of relationships. Through Christ we are called to live this out with one another. John thirteen thirty five. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we think about that, that people will know that we are God's disciples when we love one another, that we will demonstrate the gospel. It reminds us again that mission, evangelism, is not a hit-and-run exercise. We don't just speak a lot of words and then sort of move out. But it's about that ongoing, outlived gospel that demonstrates Jesus through the way that we are that we care about people's everyday lives, that we care about injustice, we care about the world we live in, we care about people's spiritual life. We care that people are heading for a lost eternity without Jesus. We care deeply for the whole person. And Jesus says, when you live like this, people will know. People will know that you are my disciples. It's a call to all of us. And it's a call that comes with a promise. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You know, that is an amazing comfort, isn't it? We don't have to earn our way to God. Christ has called us. Christ has chosen us. And then he commands us to do his work. Do you want to see people come to know Jesus? Do we want to move into a season as a church where we're actually seeing significant numbers of people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we want to see communities transformed by the gospel as we start our pioneering ministries in the autumn, as we start thinking about High Lee and Thelwall, and that hopefully is just the start of what we're doing, is sharing the good news? Do we want to hear more testimonies, like we heard from Linda this morning, of how as a church family we are loving one another? It's very simple. One of the things we have to do is love one another. Get close to the source of love. Get close to Jesus. Stay close to him. Get to know him through the word. Get close to him. Walk in step with the spirit. Love one another and share Jesus. Couldn't be simpler, could it? Verse 17. This is my command. Love one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you are the supreme demonstration of what it means to love. Thank you that as you died on Calvary for our sins, that you remind us and you demonstrate that sacrifice of love. Lord, I want to pray for each of us here this morning that as we live our lives, as we live our lives following you, that you will help us to just put these words into practice. Help them not to be textbook stuff, but stuff that is actually worked out in the communities around here, so that other people may come to saving faith in you. Lord, help us to listen to your words, hear them, and put them into practice. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.